0: Welcome to the Rena Malik MD podcast, where we explore health and demystify the complex to improve your quality of life. I'm Dr. Rena Malik, urologist and pelvic surgeon. Today's guest is Lisa Mangaldas. She's India's foremost pleasure-positive content creator, author of The Sex Book, A Joyful Journey of Self-Discovery, and the founder of an intimacy brand called Lizus. Her sexual education videos on social media reach millions of people around the world and she has won several awards for her work as a UN Women Ally and a recipient of the Pleasure Project Fellowship. You can watch more videos of hers on her YouTube channel at Mangaldas1. You can also follow her on Instagram at Lisa Mangaldas. Today, we talk about increasing sexual pleasure. Specifically, we talk about pleasuring your partner, incorporating communication using lubricant, why clitoral stimulation is important, how you can manage mismatched libidos with your partner. We discuss masturbation, being in the right headspace for sex, and can a sex toy actually replace your partner? And how can you incorporate watching pornography into your relationship? We hope that you will enjoy this podcast and learn a great deal. I want to start off talking, since you are like the guru of pleasure, what should people focus on for pleasure, for being able to pleasure their partner?
1: I think that a lot of us inherit are very heteronormative ideas around sex that are very limiting because they also tend to be entirely centered around the penis penetration, right? Most of us still define sex as penetration. Penis in vagina equals sex. When really sex can be so many things, right? Oral sex is sex. I mean, sex can be whatever you want it to be, really. It's intimacy between you and your partner uh, or even alone. Um, there's so many Aspects to sexual pleasure, actually, that have nothing to do with penetration. And I think for staff, recognizing that there's more to sex than penetration would be wonderful for more men to do. Because, you know, the vulva, actually, I feel the, the people don't recognize that the clitoris is much more central to the pleasure of most vulva on earth. Than the vaginal canal, right? So penetration, penis and vagina is often not so pleasurable for people with vulvas. It is in a way kind of ignoring the primary center of pleasure altogether, right? Which is why so many vulva owners don't experience orgasm from penetration alone. I mean, statistically, it's found that the clitoris is the far more reliable route to orgasm for most vulva owners. And yet most straight couples approach sex, you know, totally ignorant of this or sort of as if it's an afterthought you know even the word foreplay kind of suggests that all of this other stuff is optional right and penetration is the real deal so i feel like first shifting that focus and prioritizing all kinds of intimacy rather than just penetration is likely to lead to more pleasure i also think we kind of are trained to see men and women as playing these different roles during sex like women are positive as the gatekeepers and men are positive as the predators you know it's almost like as a woman, it's not womanly to want sex or to like sex. And it's not manly to not want or not like sex, you know, as if the sort of transaction that's happening is that the man is taking and the woman is reluctantly giving. And I think that's also really harmful. Like, absolutely. I think that we need to remove that gendered conditioning. Firstly, gender isn't even only binary, right? We can all also expand our understanding of gender and sexuality and, and sort of unchain ourselves from the heteronormativity and rigid gender binary that conditions our attitudes. So I think this idea of like women as reluctant participants and men as aggressors is really limiting and damaging. And it would be wonderful if sex was a shared and equal experience, right? And yet I feel like as women often, we feel like we're going to be judged or shamed by a male partner if we seem sexually expressive or communicative and so we kind of hold back. and I think similarly sometimes men might not be able to express vulnerability or reluctance or say they're not, not in the mood or you know talk about their body insecurity. so it really serves nobody like these gender stereotypes don't actually help anyone, not even men. Um, so I think that's another thing that can really contribute to a more expansive and pleasurable sexual life. I think that as a practical tip for,
0: you know, uh, as I said, for again, we're talking in heteronormative terms, but this can apply in, in any sexual relationship. But if the the person in the relationship or the man who is typically, you know, seen as predatorial or who's always asking for sex, if you can encourage your partner to say like, hey, you know, it really turns me on when you initiate or you're excited about it or you take the lead. I think that can help give your partner the confidence to do that more often.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think communication is so central. I mean, if I had to only give one tip, I would say communicate. Yeah, I think so often partners don't actually talk about sex, even if they're having sex. Um, and they don't talk about sex outside of the actual act of sex like maybe there's some communication while you're having sex but it can actually be really valuable to talk about sex to talk about what turns you on to talk about how you're feeling Um, and put intimacy and sex to be something that you're able to openly communicate about honestly Um, even when you're not actually having sex it can be easier to talk about maybe some of your concerns or confusions or how you're feeling if you're just sitting and talking as opposed to like you know having to deal with the pressure of either disappointing or hurting your partner while they're on top of you because you don't feel a certain way or you're not enjoying yourself. Um, so I think communication is so central. And then I was going to just give a very practical tip for the third one or just an easy little tip. I feel like Lube is the unsung hero uh, of better sex for everybody. And you don't have to be older or you know experiencing dryness in particular to use Lube. Lube is for everybody. I mean, of course it can help in those scenarios. But I feel like lube just makes sex more fun. Um, reduces friction. Uh, if, if pain during sex is an issue, it can often help alleviate that. And I mean, you just gotta try it. Even your oh my body, god, yes, hundred percent, better, a
0: hundred percent. So I I have a whole video on lubricant, and I am a huge lubricant proponent. Um, you know, there's so many different kinds out there: water-based, aloe-based, which is similar to water-based. There's silicone-based. There's oil-based, and they all have different you know benefits and you should experiment try them all and if you don't want to go to the store and buy lube go to the kitchen try coconut oil try uh, try olive oil you know these things are like so helpful and can really enhance your sexual pleasure for both parties so you know 100% agree with that.
1: I want to say though that unfortunately in India sometimes these oils that are marketed um, not for internal use like coconut oil is often a hair oil here Oh, be yeah. careful about yeah. the ingredients use a pure coconut oil because often the yeah. air oils have paraffin in them yeah um so if you're new to lube like using sexual especially in india because it's a product with less availability access and education around it i would just say like look at the ingredient make sure what you're using is body safe you don't want to use a general moisturizer or you know just um some sort of cold cream or something that's meant for yeah. external use
0: yeah. Great point. And no, no Vaseline either. That's not safe. Uh, not, not great. So things uh, absolutely important to avoid a lot of household products, but um, certainly cl- yeah. you know, clean oils, like 100 uh, percent natural the oils, oils are avoid, safe. Yeah. yeah. To uh, and then I wanted to go back to your point about, you know, clitoral uh, sensitivity or uh, using the clitoris. The reason actually the clitoris is how uh, almost 95 percent of women achieve orgasm. And when you look at the studies, you know, they'll say it's, you know, less than that, but it's actually the women who did in, uh, did achieve orgasm with it, with um, intercourse or penetration actually also had clitoral stimulation. So it's almost 95% of women that need some sort of clitoral stimulation. And the reason for that is that the head of the clitoris is analogous embryologically, meaning that when you're developing as a fetus, before you get a penis or, or a clitoris, they're the same. They're exactly the same. So the head of the penis is like the, the clitoris. And so that's yes. why, you know, women derive so much pleasure from that. And, you know, men can kind of look at that and, and say, oh, well, that that makes a lot more sense.
1: Yeah, I think that's such a wonderful um, sort of fact. I love sharing that as well, that um, before sexual differentiation, the genital tubercle is essentially the same tissue that turns into either a penis or a clitoris. And in so many ways, they are analogous as a head and a shaft and a little foreskin and a hood. And they both become engorged with blood when erect. And I just think that when... People think of the penis and sex. I mean, it's like you can't imagine one without the other, right? And yes. yet, the clitoris is like secret. You know, everybody knows you need focused and attentive, deliberate stimulation of the penis. Yes, And make a man orgasm. And yet, no one thinks about the fact that similarly, you just need deliberate and focused attention to the clitoris. I feel like women's pleasure would be so much less elusive and mysterious if we just knew this. Like we're told women's pleasure is difficult. It's complicated. It's going to take longer. It's just inherently more tricky, you know? But I feel like actually we don't get um, clear and accurate messaging about how our bodies work in relation to pleasure. So of course it seems mysterious, but it's not that difficult once you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, what advice do you have for people who maybe are in a relationship where they really have a high libido and their partner has less of a libido or lower libido. I mean, I think that can be really challenging for, I mean, typically we see that societally as a male having high libido and a female having low libido, but I've seen it in both both directions. So do you have advice for people who are struggling with that?
1: Um, I think it's so important that you noted that it can be in both directions because indeed I feel like the gender has less to do with the uh, uh, problem. It's just a very common sort of situation that that i think if we're absolutely honest almost all couples will feel um some degree of that like sometimes i want sex and maybe my partner doesn't sometimes they want sex maybe i don't that's a very normal thing for any relationship to encounter right especially if it's a long-term relationship whether it's from a day-to-day basis in the sense i could be really stressed out today and not be in the mood my partner might really be in the mood to a more sort of um sort of if you're zooming out just generally one person wants more sex than the other so I think firstly it's very common and and know that you're not alone like I think many people feel like they can't talk about this or feel kind of like they don't know what to do and um as if it's an unsolvable problem and and they can't tell anyone I I feel like it's actually very common and we'd all benefit from being more open and, and honest about the fact that we go through these um sorts of situations in our in our relationships and I think communication is so central to figuring this out together because I think you know it's unfair to expect either, uh, well, certainly to expect the partner who might not be feeling particularly sexual to just have sex with you because you want it, right? That's um, a lot to ask and yet I feel like if you're able to talk about this openly you can also think about what intimacy is for you, you know, is not enough sex meaning not enough penetration or is it not enough cuddles? Is it not enough just you know, um, close and vulnerable time together. I feel like thinking about what you're missing and how you can both, um, you know, if you're both committed to making this work and sort of meeting each other's uh, emotional and physical requirements and all of that, talking about how you can both do things that work for both of you in ways that kind of, you know, provide a middle ground. So I think talking is so important. Many people just don't bring it up, end up like not being able to approach the subject and in a way that only makes things worse um but I also think that in in a practical sense you know some people think scheduling sex is very unromantic or um weirdly clinical or something yeah. but but in it's often suggested as a solution because our lives can just I mean modern life is so hectic and and so sort of I feel like it takes you away from anything that is a source of pleasure right you're always worried about are always build and walk and all of this stuff, and in a funny kind of way, when you're dating someone, and you're not living together. Anyway, you used to have to schedule sex in a way, right? You plan yeah. to have a date on Saturday, or you plan, and so then you can make the time for that, right? And you're going more likely to allow yourself to be in that headspace on that day if you were anticipating it. It's funny, but we have to schedule everything now. So I, oh yeah, with couples, especially if you're uh, in a long-term relationship and you live together, um, sex can just sort of fall off your priority list because you have so many other things to do you know because absolutely laundry and all of this stuff so in a, in a weird kind of way as unromantic as it sounds I think it's actually something worth trying scheduling sex so both parties know um that they're gonna make the time for this and try and make it special and and make it a priority right because spontaneity while it's amazing it isn't that easy to stop everything else that you're doing when you have so many other things to do, and then sometimes it just doesn't happen. I think that scheduling sex is a great tip
0: because, as you said, you know, it's something to look forward to. It's exciting. And it's like, okay, I've put this on my schedule. And hey, I'm gonna like get busy on Saturday, and it's gonna be great. And I can't wait, right? You get you get excited. And, and I think this idea of spontaneous desire is so overplayed by the media, right? Like you, you see, you see someone of the who is attractive to you, you get super excited, you want to jump them and have sex, right? But that's not reality, right? As especially, you know, as your hormones change over your lifetime, that spontaneous desire becomes less and less frequent. And you actually need to, you know, the desire comes with a little bit of time, you need to like lie together or touch each other and 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 kind of just be with each other and allow that desire to come. But it actually takes some premeditated effort that, hey, we're going to like be intimate or be close before there'll be any sort of sexual contact so that you can actually start getting that desire. And that's normal, 100% normal. There's nothing wrong with you if you don't look at your husband or partner or whatever wife and say, oh my God, I want to jump them right now. Like that's that's completely normal. And I think that that needs to be portrayed too much more frequently. And it's, it's very poorly shown in,
1: in media. Yeah, absolutely. And the last thing I was just going to say was that, you know, at least in India, um, this this overemphasis on fidelity to the extent that like people even might think that, you know, your partner masturbating is cheating on you. Um, and I really think we need to rethink that stuff. You know, uh, masturbation is a self-soothing behavior and it's a wonderful and easy way to uh, sort of provide yourself with pleasure or some sort of sexual release when you when you want that. I think even when you're in a relationship uh, it's perfectly normal and healthy to also masturbate and I think especially when there's a mismatch in libido um being able to also you know sort of explore your own body and pleasure and sexuality solo sometimes is a is a healthy way to release some of that uh, absolutely sort of sexual yeah. energy that you might want an outlet for so mm-hmm. I highly recommend people uh, being open to their to, to their partners continuing to have like you know a, a self-pleasure ritual if they're in a monogamous equation and if they're open to non-monogamy of course that's another thing ethical non-monogamy i feel is getting more visibility uh and more understanding and you know it's, it's a lifestyle choice or relationship structure that more and more people are exploring so that is another thing that um if partners are open to looking into you know could be a potential sort of arena to explore.
0: Right. Absolutely. And, and the benefits to masturbation are so many stress relief, um, you know, reduction, in blood pressure, just just so many great, wonderful benefits and like a release of feel good hormones in the body. And I think that, you know, it's it's great to explore your body, learn more about what makes you excited, what gives you pleasure so that you can kind of pass the information on to your partner so that you guys can use that in your intimate relationship. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. If you choose not to, that's fine too. But there really you know, doesn't need to be any guilt or shame behind masturbation. Um, I think that the other thing I wanted to touch on is you know, you do need to be in the right headspace for sex, whether it's a male, female, um, you know, them, they, her, whatever you identify as, everyone needs to be in the right headspace for having intercourse, intimacy, whatever. And so do you have any tips on, on kind of getting your partner
1: in the right headspace? I think it's um, one of my favorite things to do is to give each other a massage. Uh, I think it can be so relaxing. Plusly I find that arousal is much more likely to happen if I am feeling relaxed. It is hard to be in the mode if you're thinking about fifteen other things, right? And if you're stressed out, which most of us always are, I feel like it's a symptom of modern life. Yes. That's actually like physically feeling relaxed can actually really help with mentally feeling relaxed. So I I love a back massage or a shoulder back and shoulder neck kind of situation. Um I feel like it just eases the tension literally physically and then therefore also mentally. So this is what my partner and I have started doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. And I think trying also like if you know, like if you schedule sex, right, you can kind of get yourself in the mood, read an erotic novel or do something that gets you kind of in the mood. And that can be really helpful because then you're like ready to go super excited. and It makes for a more enjoyable sexual encounter.
1: And interestingly, even working out, like if you go for a run together um, beforehand, I think just getting your bodies and our brains are more connected, I feel, than we think about. Um, or that then we acknowledge, and it's funny, but even just breathing, like getting your, you know, getting the blood flowing, getting your heart straight up, and your breathing, um, sort of inhaling and exhaling at the way that you would if you're going on a run, or if you're meditating. Most people find it hard to meditate, though, which is why I say go for a run, because I feel like it can have the similar sort of physical effect of relaxation when you're done with your run. Yeah. Um, As you might feel from meditating as well, just from that breathing, you know, and it's funny, but it can really get you in the mood. If you're physically feeling relaxed and energized, it's more likely that your mind is at ease as well.
0: I want to get to a couple of questions that my audience always asks about. And one is, you know, if they buy a toy for their partner or is their partner is using a toy to reach climax, um, is that going to replace them?
1: No, oh, I think we should be totally good with bringing vibrators into the bedroom. I think that it's technology, you know, a vibrator or any kind of sex toy, whether it vibrates or not, is essentially just a technology that exists. Technically, even a pillow is technology, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe people use hand as a pillow, now we have a pillow. So I feel like anything that makes a task easier and more efficient and, um, you know, makes your life better is technology. And sex toys are technology and we should embrace them. They're wonderful. And particularly for Valvas, I just think vibrators are incredibly effective at providing clitoral stimulation. The, the, what a vibrator can do is not humanly possible at that speed and consistency and for that duration. So it's not even a, you know, I mean, does an accountant consider a calculator competition? No, but it's like hugely helpful in making the workday more efficient. <laughs> I feel like similarly, we all embrace this technology. It eases also the pressure on the on, on the partner in a way, right? I mean, I feel like so many men write to me being like, I don't know if I can satisfy my partner, i wonder whether I can last long enough. I wonder yeah. And why should firstly I think that all of those ideas around sex, as I said earlier, they don't serve men. They don't they don't serve anybody really. So I think we need to rethink sex. But I also think sex tech can really it can bring a lot of pleasure to all parties and alleviate performance anxiety for everyone. And we should be using them. And yet they can't replace you. If vibrator can't give you a hug or call you on your birthday as, as the famous scene in Sex in the City. I don't know if you remember it around the rabbit vibrator. Yeah. But no, it can't replace a loving partner. Of course not. I, I, I do think, though, that if all you're getting from a relationship is sex, uh, then, you know, Perhaps once you have a toy, you're going to rethink how much casual sex is really worth it. At least that happened for me. Uh, And I think, in a way, that's a nice thing because to some extent, I feel like many young people almost use each other as like vehicles in which to masturbate, you know, which is okay. But I mean, do I really want to disrupt my vaginal pH for some dude who doesn't even know where my clitoris is? Not really, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So I think that if the only value you're providing to your partner is sexual and that too, all you're concerned about is your pleasure, then okay, maybe maybe when she gets a vibrator, she might stop calling. But hopefully that isn't all the value you're providing and it surely can't replace the yeah. human being.
0: Yeah, I think the only caveat I would add is absolutely masturbation is excellent. But if you become very accustomed to one way to climax, so if you're masturbating every single day with very aggressive, vibrators or hand stimulation and and that may be something that your body becomes accustomed to and that's okay but you you know it, it may make it harder for other means to get you to reach the same climax so just being aware of that i think um as as that can happen in relationships and that's normal and just to kind of be cognizant of
1: that and not take it personally if that happens in your
0: relationship
1: yes and actually i think um it's important not to compare the two say like I think it's important to recognize that what certain toys can do is simply not humanly possible. Yeah. Um, and so to expect that, I think, you know, I was joking a little bit earlier. I was talking in a lighthearted way, but I think that, as you said, yeah, it's really important to recognize that um, partnered sex might, or even masturbation with your fingers instead of a toy might not be able to provide the the intensity of stimulation as an electronic device, Right. Mm-hmm. um And I feel like, the, you know, I mean, email is great, but a handwritten le- letter is also wonderful, right? And it's, it's yeah. nice to be able to appreciate both experiences instead of comparing them or expecting your partner or, I don't know, the expecting one or the other to be better or to meet the, you know, I feel like it isn't a competition. And, it, and yeah. it's nice to appreciate partner and sex for what it is and masturbation with a vibrator for what it is. But it's also fun to bring a vibrator into the bedroom now and then, is all I was. Yeah. Thinking.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and be open to that, I think. I think it's it's it adds so much fun to the experience. Last question, because I don't want to go too, too long. But, you know, there's a lot of um, concern about watching pornography. Is it good? Is it bad? And I think there is a great way to use it health, you know, in a healthy manner. And so do you have tips to incorporate using that in your relationship
1: in a healthy way? I think it's uh, if you're someone who watches porn and enjoys watching porn, I think it can be agreed to just be mindful of what you're consuming you know you want to be consuming something that's ethically produced right you want nobody's consent to have been violated in order for you to experience pleasure so uh, i'm a big proponent of ethical porn there's a whole bunch of uh uh, indie adult filmmakers who who are ensuring that the production of the content is ethical in the sense that you know performers rights are protected and 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 safe and professional working environments are created and performers have a say in what they're doing and consent is very you know explicitly um indicated and i think that's really important because there's so many free porn sites where there's like revenge porn or some sort of non-consensually uh created materials you know either the clip is was the act consensual was it consensually filmed was it consensually shared so often you really don't know Um, And yet there are sites making those things very clear. They're also aiming to provide a more nuanced and sort of equal um, portrayal of sex. I think so often mainstream porn is like, you know, by men, for men with this very like cis white male gaze kind of informing the way that sex is presented, informing the way that any other type of identity is presented. The titles will like fetishize certain races and body types and um, often it's very violent and misogynistic and so I think that um, ethical porn tries to address all of those issues by having you know a lot more equal representation on the pleasure of people other than men as well women's pleasure queer people's pleasure it's often women and queer people directing and creating this content so I really think looking for better porn um, is, a, is a great step in, in, in ensuring that You're reaping the benefits of what erotic material can provide to your sex life instead of the problems that it can also bring forth, right? I feel like porn is one of those things that has many pleasures, but also many issues. Obviously, it's one of the safest ways to experience sexual pleasure, porn and masturbation. No infection, no pregnancy, no rejection, right? So it can be a very healthy outlet to explore your curiosities and fantasies and all of that. But much of mainstream porn also has all these issues, um, so yeah, well, make sure you're watching ethical porn
0: <laughs> if you yeah and porn, and and absolutely make sure that um it's not disrupting your normal, like porn addiction is a real problem. And I think that, um, if you find that you're watching so much porn that it's disrupting your daily activities, something to to definitely be mindful of. And also, if you're watching porn and having this expectation of what your sex life is going to be like, well, porn is a produced product, right? It is, it is augmented with visual effects and and it's it's very um, not realistic. So I think just realizing that, um, for a lot of people it can be very helpful all right well thank you so much for joining us um, thank you for listening to today's episode on the Rena Malik MD podcast if you enjoy listening the best way to support our podcast is by rating and reviewing this podcast on your favorite podcast platform this allows us to spread free education to more people each and every week you can find me on social media on all the platforms at Rena Malik MD including YouTube Twitter Instagram and Facebook if you'd like to see me as a patient, you can easily schedule an appointment at www.renamalickmd.com appointments. And as always, remember to take care of yourself because you are worth it.